0: Next, on Abounding Grace. We know, according to the Bible, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that God's ways are not our ways. This is a great example of that. We cry out for help in the midst of our crisis. I think there is an expectation for immediate help. And when the help comes a different way, the kind of help that Jesus was giving to Mary and Martha was to wait to show up. That was an act of love on his part. He was going to purposely wait to show up. And we we learn in a moment that during the time of waiting, Lazarus dies. Actually, we learn that Lazarus dies pretty fast after the message was sent. And there Jesus is delaying his coming on purpose.
1: This is a message for physical healing, a relationship gone sour or whether to make a move, we've all prayed for something and at times there's a delay or an answer we wouldn't expect. In the story we're about to encounter today on Abounding Grace, Jesus' good friend Lazarus becomes sick and dies but we're about to see that this situation will bring glory to God in an unexpected way. And you guessed it, there was a delay. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor explaining why God's delays are not his denials from John chapter 11. We start a new
0: chapter today, chapter 11. We're studying through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're almost to the halfway mark of the Gospel of John. Not quite. And one of the reasons is is that we've paused at those necessary places to really address the truth that's presented in a more in depth way. And now we are in chapter 11, which we will be for a few weeks as we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us some important lessons, specifically on the topic of life and death, as well as handling crises. Now, I love this chapter because it shows us insight, it gives us insight to the compassion of Jesus in the midst of a terrible tragedy. And often when I have had the privilege to officiate at a memorial service, which I haven't for the last couple years, but perhaps the Lord will open that up for me in the future. But when I have, this is a passage of Scripture that I often will use in many different places, as you'll see in a moment. Uh, It's become especially encouraging to me uh, since my son Eddie died back in May of 2013. I love the Scriptures, but I also see how they apply in a very personal way, especially when it comes to issues of life and death. Do you know the real test of a religious system is how it deals with death? How it deals with death. There are some and a very large religion today that say that after death, man is then reincarnated. Now, that's not a very hopeful thing to look forward to. Rather, you begin to live your fear, you live your life in fear and doubt and always second-guessing yourself, because if you don't do good enough, I mean, you come back as a flea or a fly, and who wants that? And that doesn't really apply, you know, it doesn't really reflect the loving heart of God. Now, other religious systems would look at death and say that it ends in nothing, and that's it. It just, your life ends in nothingness. One deep, dark nothingness. You just cease to exist. And so what does that philosophy do? That religion, it creates in you this desire to, hey man, let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Again, a very hopeless system of belief. Others say, other religions would look at death and say that it's simply an illusion, that it didn't really happen. And I suspect That those that invented such a false teaching have never really experienced loss on a personal level. Otherwise, they would never say such a thing or teach such a thing. But Christianity, now by the way, Christianity is not a religious set of beliefs. Although along the way, men have come along and made a religion out of Christianity, Christianity in its truest form is not a religion, it's a person the person of Jesus Christ, He calls you and me to follow Him. He calls you and me to die to ourselves and live to Him. He says that when we believe in Him, that He will then give us new life by us being born again. It's not a religious set of beliefs, but rather a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ Himself. That's true Christianity. That's what we want in our lives. So Christianity says that the believer doesn't die, but lives again. If you're a believer today, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's a promise to you. That as a believer, the very last breath you take on earth will then lead to the very next breath in the presence of the Lord. Now that's hope. That's hope for today. That's strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Jesus will say in our text today, well, we won't get into it in depth, but notice in verse 25, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in thee, though he may die, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That indeed is the question of the day. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life? It's in him that is true hope. It's in him that hope is found. And so we will deal with a very difficult topic today and in the coming weeks. I'm very glad that we go through the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter, because if we didn't, we could easily, talk, we could easily just talk about and teach on the topics that are easy and fun, and will bring a smile to our face, and, and we won't have to deal with any of the difficulties, but that's not our commitment. Our commitment is to go through the whole Bible, because I believe God has given the whole Bible for the whole edification of the whole believer, And when we go through the Bible, we're going to have to deal on difficult topics. And the reality is, is that death has touched every single one of us. The reality is, is that if it hasn't, it will. And the reality is, is that you and I, every single person listening in, will face death ourselves. We will all die of our last disease. We will leave this earthly body and live eternity in one of two places— We will either forever be with the Lord who saved us and shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins, or the Bible says we'll be resurrected to a life apart from God, separated eternally in the life that we've chosen for ourselves. And with that in mind, chapter 11 now, in the context of our study in John, it reflects a point where Jesus closes now his public ministry He's done proclaiming the gospel as John writes out those elements and those times in his life to remind us to believe in him. You remember, he's just picked out certain parts of his life inspired by the Holy Spirit in a gospel that's designed to be evangelistic, a gospel that's designed that after we finish reading John that we might believe in the Son of God. And in the things that John has chosen, chapter 11 now closes the public ministry of Jesus. There's going to be no more testimony in his life to the public at large. There'll be now just a focused attention on discipling the disciples. Getting them ready for his death and his resurrection and his ascension, his absence from them. And so the last part of the book of John is going to cover just a few times, just a few days Just a few weeks in the life of Jesus where we know that he spent three years in his public ministry. And the three the the weeks that are covered, the days that are covered now toward the end are going to be specifically for discipling and preparing not only the disciples but also for us. And it opens up with a very difficult thing happening in a real family, in a real town, with a real sickness, and the real fear of death. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Crisis has come to the family of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the crisis has come through a sickness Now understand that the word sickness isn't just referring to a cold or flu-like symptoms. The idea behind this word is that this is a sickness unto death, that this is a very urgent time. This would be the equivalent of walking out of the doctor's office with a diagnosis that sends your gut sinking, where the doctor has said, this is what the tests show, and this is what I think your life will be on earth. You'll have so many months to live. This is what we're dealing with here. The shock of hearing such a thing. The shock of finding out how sick your brother is. The shock of seeing him laid out, once strong and and once vibrant, now completely laid out. And when they find out that he's sick, they send to Jesus in verse 3, both of them. And they send a note, no doubt, or some verbal word. Hey, Jesus, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Their brother is sick and they know exactly where to go. They need to send word to Jesus. Now you know that Jesus is some distance away. So it's going to take some time for this note to get to him. Perhaps a day or so. It's going to take, they're not, you're not able to send a text message or pick up the phone. This is going to be a message sent through a messenger to find Jesus and let him know what's happening with Lazarus. So there's going to be time, and I'll point it out to you, this is about a day's time. And and I'm encouraged by verse 3. Not only do they know where to go, but I also am encouraged of how they asked. In the midst of a crisis, they were very careful to ask of God, not demand. And again, there is a system of religion today, false in its entirety, that says that you're to demand from God, and you're to name it, and you're to claim it, and you know, you're God's kid, so you can just tell him what to do. But rather, we know even in the midst of crisis, our prayers yield to the sovereignty of God. We need to remember that when we're praying to God, that God is God, and we are not. And we trust him. And they come very carefully. Now, I know there are times when you just get a a prayer out and your motives aren't really bad, but it sounds demanding and such. God, he receives those. But there are those times where we just, this reflects their relationship with Jesus. It's a loving one. It's a good one. And they go out and they go, man, I want to find out. Now, Mary and Martha, when we come to knowing Mary and Martha here, John wants us to know exactly who we're dealing with and Lazarus. So we, we know Mary and Martha from another part in the scriptures. You'll remember, you know, Martha's the one that gets the bad rap, you know, because she was busy in the kitchen uh, making food and preparing for the visit of Jesus. And where was Mary? Mary was hanging out at the feet of Jesus. Martha in the kitchen, Mary hanging out at the feet of Jesus. And Martha was a little, you know, just distracted by everything that was going on. I mean, you know, but, but before you give, and, and don't give Martha a bad rap anymore, because think about it if Jesus was coming to your house, don't you think you would want everything perfect? Don't you think you'd want everything in order? I mean, in my house, when we have guests coming over and we know ahead of time, there is the call throughout the house. I can hear Marie's voice right now. It's time to clean up. And in your thought is, you know, it's somebody's coming over, isn't it? Like, I'm always like, why can't they just see us how we live? Like, why just, just come on over, man. I don't care. We, I mean, our house isn't really dirty, but it's lived in, you know. Just come on over. It's fine. It's no big deal. But we're going to clean up because we want everything right for the guests and everything in order and, you know, start in the bathrooms for sure and then work your way out and all there. So Martha was really worshiping God, worshiping Jesus on his visit by serving him, making a nice meal. I think you'd want to make a nice meal. You, you wouldn't just call out for pizza if Jesus came. You'd want to make your best meal. You'd want to make sure. So be careful with Martha. Be careful when you have those prejudgments with her because Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus didn't condemn her. He just told her her priorities were a little out of whack. And that's true for us at times, isn't it? Our priorities can be a little out of whack. And here they are now, Lazarus. We are now introduced to Lazarus as well because John wants us to know that it's not the Lazarus that Jesus mentioned in one of his stories, his true stories. Not a parable, but he shared a true story in Luke chapter 16 of the rich man and Lazarus who died and went on into eternity Lazarus went into the presence, uh, into Abraham's bosom or into paradise. The rich man was in a place called Torments in in Hades. And he just wants us to know, it's not that Lazarus. That wasn't, that's a different man in a different time, in a different circumstance. It's this Lazarus, the one that Jesus loved. The one that had a deep abiding friendship with Mary and Martha. Verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there he gives us the purpose. This sickness, it's for the glory of God. This difficulty, it's for the glory of God. This crisis, it's for the glory of God. Even if you don't see it right now, and even if you don't feel it right now, and even if you're in the midst of, of just wanting God's help so desperately, Jesus says, look, he's he, his sickness, it's not unto death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus, it says, verse 5, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it confirms what John said. You know, it confirms with a message that was sent. John is confirming the message that was sent. The one you love is sick, and John says, oh, by the way, that's true. Jesus loved them. And we'll see that love expressed later on in another study when this is the chapter where Jesus comes on the scene and he weeps, and he cries with them. And so when Jesus says, this sickness is on unto death, but the glory of God, the Son of God, this is difficult to, to take in. Not only that, but so is verse 6. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That doesn't make sense to me. Does it make sense to you? I mean, we often think the other way around. If there's a crisis, there's a difficulty, we rush to go help. We drop everything. And we go to help. I mean, that, that, that's what we do. I mean, you think about you parents for a second. If you're parents, you hear the kids in the other room, and, and you hear a loud noise and a scream and a sibling saying, he's bleeding, mom, he's bleeding. You don't answer. I'm reading a book right now. When I'm done, I'm in a good chapter. Just, I'm just staying here for two more hours. I'll be in in two more hours. No, that doesn't make sense at all. We drop everything, we rush in, we put our hand on the bleed, bud, we go, what happened? What happened? Did you do this? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Get to the bottom of everything. Then we stop the bleeding, and we immediately rush in to help. And that makes sense. I mean, but Jesus does the opposite here. Because we've already learned that he's on his own timetable. We've already learned. I've entitled our Bible study today, God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Because we know he's on a different timetable than we are. We know that he sees things differently than we do. We know, according to the Bible, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that God's ways are not our ways. This is a great example of that. We cry out for help in the midst of our crisis. I think there is an expectation for immediate help. And when the help comes a different way, the kind of help that Jesus was giving to Mary and Martha was to wait to show up. That was an act of love on his part. He was going to purposely wait to show up. And we we learn in a moment that during the time of waiting, Lazarus dies. Actually, we learn that Lazarus dies pretty fast after the message was sent. And there Jesus is delaying his coming on purpose. Now, I see this happen. Let's take it away for a moment from the topic of, of life and death, and let's put it back down into a realm of our relationship, our human relationships. Because I see this happen a lot in relationship to the leadership of the church, whether they are staff here or so many of the lay leaders who work full-time and serve, that you are in a crisis, and you're in a place of crisis so much so that you feel you really need to reach out to the church, which is not a bad idea. So you call the church, and you leave a message, or you send out an email, and you expect an answer right away. But you don't get it. The answer doesn't come right away, and what that does, if you're not careful, it'll start to make you very frustrated, very upset, and go, wait a minute, I'm in a crisis. Why aren't you getting back to me? This is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Why haven't you called? Why haven't you returned my email? And let me just say that, first of all, the people that serve here Uh, the pastors, the staff, the administration, the hundreds of lay leaders, they love Jesus Christ and they love you. Let's just start there. They have a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. God has raised them up and they love the Lord and they love you. Secondly, they care for you and they're going to answer you. And they're gonna answer, you You know, for me as a pastor, as I train up the guys here, I tell them, I want you guys to respond to your your, your voicemails and your phone call, your messages within a day or two. And I want you to clear out your inbox within a week and just make sure that you're on top of things and and take care of that. Make sure that's a priority for you because we communicate and we want to care. But there are times when it's just, there's a lot going on. There are times when emails, and I'm sure it's happened to you, get stuck in some, when emails get lost where do they go exactly? I've always wondered what cyberspace, where do they go? Sometimes they end up in the junk mail. Sometimes, I mean, they just disappear sometimes. Sometimes they are forgotten, perhaps. Sometimes voicemails get erased. Messages don't get passed on. That, that's the human part. It's not because we don't care. It's just because something happened. You know, for me personally, I just got back from a trip to California where I had a chance to teach at a couple places. I came back to 350 emails in my inbox. I don't share that with you to feel sorry for me or anything at all. I wish it was 500, 600. That's no problem with me. I want all the emails to come to me. My assistant doesn't answer them for me. I love to communicate. But you got to understand, when I sit down to my my computer for 350 emails, it's going to take more than five minutes to read them, think through them, pray through them, and send you a response. So it's nothing personal. You know, when you call one of the leaders of a ministry here and you don't get any, a response right away, remember, they've been working all day. You're not going to get a response while they're at work. Eight hours, 10 hours, some 12 hours a day, they're working. And, and perhaps they come home and have dinner. And then they spend some time with the kids. It's going to take some time. So here in the crisis, you may get a response that you didn't expect. Or a mistake might happen. And I want to remind you that that We're human that we serve one another, and and we're human. So sometimes things happen that we need to be careful not to be frustrated, not to let these things divide us or distract us. You and I, as a church family, we have a team of pastors and lay leaders that love you and serve you. So be patient with them. Let the Holy Spirit just fill you with this heart of long suffering. But I can say this. While you may need to wait on one of us, you won't need to wait on the Lord. Like, God will answer your prayers and your calls. I mean, you could pick up the phone and call God right away, and it will not go to voicemail. It will not be Michael the archangel saying, I'm sorry, you've reached the phone number of God, and he's not available right now. It doesn't happen that way. And so we need to have this patience with one another, because I know crisis. I, I, I get it. I, I'm not in any way whatsoever. Please don't misunderstand me. Minimizing your crisis... are are making it sound like it's not important. It is. It's important to me, and it's important to the Lord.
1: But we need to learn how to cast our cares upon the Lord, because He cares for us. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and today we learned that God's delays are not His denials. Now, Pastor Ed, as we close things out, you encouraged our listeners to cast their cares on the Lord when in a crisis. And, you know, it's possible someone listening right now is in a full-blown crisis. Would you pray for them as we close?
0: Yes, yes. I do want to pray for them, Larry. And I would just say today for you listening in, if you're in a full-blown crisis, I'm sorry. Uh, I wish you weren't. I wish things were easier. Uh, Sin has wrecked everything. And for some listening, it's harder than others. And if you're in a full-blown crisis, ask for help call your church, call your local, this this radio station for someone to pray with you right now that God would bring an instant dose of encouragement. Father, I pray even now for those that um, they hear the instruction to cast their cares upon you, but they can't or they won't, or it's just overwhelming. And, and yet in their ear right now is a voice. And it is a voice that you are using God to bring encouragement and hope to remind them that they are not alone. And I just pray that, th- that through your spirit, you would comfort and overwhelm their emotions that you might get down to the essence of who they are in their soul and enable them to then turn around and respond by casting their cares upon you. So I pray that today in Jesus'
1: name. Amen. 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 Thanks for that prayer, Pastor Ed. And friend, if you'd like to give this a second listen or even share it with someone who's in a crisis, just go to aboundinggraceradio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. See if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it surrendered it to god and yet you still can't seem to break free it's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in well today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by erwin Lutzer called how to break a stubborn habit in it you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace.